Hello and welcome to the Educate Norfolk podcast. Thank you very much for joining us again. My name is Jonathan Rice. I'm the head teacher at Caister Infant and Junior School and I have two guests with me this week for our end of the first autumn half term uh, review. We're going to be talking with Sarah Shiraz as always who's at St Williams. Hello Sarah. Hi Jonathan. And we are also pleased to welcome Sarah's co-chair um, at Educate Norfolk, Jess Bellardo at St Mary's in Beatley. Hello, Jess. Hi there, Jonathan. Hello, Jonathan. Oh, sorry, that was me. <laughs> You've already said hello, Sarah, but it's nice to say hello again. So, this is really summing up exactly how we're feeling, isn't it? Really? Oh dear, oh dear, we can't even manage to string two sentences together. We're so exhausted at the end of this first <laughs> half. Term. And that's what we're going to be talking about, not just exhaustion, but We've made it, or we've nearly made it. I say that with my fingers crossed and touching my wooden desk here, that uh, we've just about made it to half term. No cases in my school? No cases in either of yours? No, We've still got two days to go. We have. There was a good point on Twitter last night, though, that actually that's not because of anything we've done, and it's not where there have been cases. It's not the fault of that school either. It's you know the chance of the world we live in, isn't it? And I, I'm relieved, but I'm not patting myself on the back for that because, like you say, Jess, there's still two days to go. I have congratulated all my children though, and told them that uh, that, that was their that was due to all their hand washing and you know their parents being very sensible outside the school and everything. But I do know that you're quite we've right, had Sarah. Really that's really high attendance as well. We've had we've had better attendance than this time last year I think mainly because we've had no holidays we've had no other unauthorized absences and actually I think everybody's been so keen to get back to work in the main um, that we've had all the children coming in quite quite keen and although I think their enthusiasm is starting to wane just a little bit and um, some of them are sorry no, I was going to say there's going to be lots of, you know, not modes, but there's lots of pressures on us and people in our role at the moment. But the one thing that I do think is that children and their parents seem to appreciate school more at the moment. It's like they lost it for a while. And actually, that was really tough. It was tough for lots of reasons, not just because there wasn't school. But actually, do you know what? They actually being really appreciative and really expressing their gratitude by emails, by saying so. And I think maybe despite everything we're going to say about the tricky nature of this at the minute, we've got to hold on to that. Do you know what? School and teachers, we're doing a real good job. Yeah. Yeah. I think and we're out there every day, aren't we? Out on the gate and um, yeah. and, and the, the appreciation of the parents does, I don't know about you and your schools, I'm sure it does. Daily, you get people coming up to you, don't you? Thanking you for what you're doing, telling you how pleased they are to be here. And that's been really uh, that's been really gratifying, even on the days when it's been threat. I'm glad it stopped raining. Aren't you? <laughs> I've been soaked so many times in the last fortnight. It's been awful. <laughs> I, I didn't realise that I would need a brolly quite so much. And I'm, I've always been quite hardy, you know, hood's fine. But oh, my goodness. Brollies have been essential over the last couple of weeks. This may be too much information, but on that awful Friday about three weeks ago when it really, really rained. Yeah. When I had to close my school. <laughs> yeah, no, that was the day, yeah. I went over to um, Jonathan's school to record. And then I, one of the things I'd said in school was, I can't believe my pants are wet. And the first thing Jonathan said to me when I got to his school was, I've got wet pants. <laughs> I have wet pants. It was the wet pants episode. <laughs> and also Jonathan had got his caretaker spare socks on. <laughs> Uh, they were Nigel's. They were Nigel's. 
I think I probably got off quite lightly then by closing the school before anybody got wet through. Um, was that the day a tree fell on your school? Yeah, it was a, well, it didn't fall on the, the school, but it fell on all the electrical wires. So I was there right at the very beginning of the day at 8.40 when the electrics went off, turning everybody back and saying, school's closed, school's closed. So, uh, yeah, I think we averted dampness and lots of soggy clothing. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting a, day. If there can ever be a good day for a tree to fall on your school, it was that day. Yeah, you can't dry. Yeah. So go on then, day to day, how's it how's it been for you this first half term? Like no other in, in your time as a head teacher, I'm sure. How's it been, Jess? Um do you know what? It started off absolutely brilliantly. I think we had had all of that um you know, all of that kerfuffle and everything last term and um the rigmarole of trying to get ourselves up and running and risk assessments and everything. And the first three weeks were really, I mean, they were strained because it was a new way of working and everybody's running around and you're having to cover all sorts of bases and everyone's in a bubble so you can't mix things and people are not quite certain of what's going on. But the children were absolutely amazing. They settled in, they got back down to work. Um, they were fantastic. I think everybody starts the day, we, we all start the day at various different times, but for, for the whole of this term, you are on duty from the minute it's 8.30 until 3.30 when the last class goes home and sometimes after that if you're doing other clubs and bits and pieces but it's the fact that it's relentless there's not a single minute in the day the teachers the support staff everybody is on duty pretty much throughout the day because we don't have the capacity to be able to give people the amount of time off that they that they did have before. So even though we're still giving PPA, we're giving people lunch breaks as much as we possibly can, there just isn't the slack in the system. So everybody's just shattered and the children are shattered too. So I think it's gone really, really well. It's just, there's just not been an opportunity at any point to sort of um, slow the pace a little bit and catch up, which perhaps we do without realizing it um, in normal circumstances. Does that sound about right? I don't know. Is that the same? Sorry, as I, was, I thought, Sarah, Sarah, we've. I was just gonna. I was waiting for Sarah to jump in there. You, we've talked a bit about how same, how samey every day is, haven't we? The relentless sort of, you know, every day just all the variety of headship seems to have gone, hasn't it? And every day seems the same. And the greatest part of our job is that enormous variety, isn't it? From doing the shoelaces and helping, you know, wipe snotty noses one minute to working out how to spend huge amounts of budget another minute. Um, today was really different here because we actually had our um, photographs this morning, our individual photographs of children. Um, we made the decision to also go ahead with sibling photographs, which we didn't have discovered. We were the first school to have done that with this particular company. And that meant the children arrived at set times before school this morning with their sibling groups. But I saw every child today. So even though I do the gates, you know, you're only on one of the gates and we've got lots of gates at school. But actually the hall had a buzz to it and a, a bounce to it. And I think that's the thing that I find the strangest is the, you know, the technical running of the day, the being on the gates. It's lovely being on the gates, smiling, talking to people, however wet you're getting. Um, but actually today it felt like we were one school for the very first time. It was complicated and we were a bit anxious and we were cleaning things and wiping things. But as, then you realise that actually 
it goes, you know, in the classroom with the teachers, the teaching assistants, they've got all the pressures and all the complications, but they've also got the buzz of being with children. I think that's the bit that I probably found the oddest is just not being able to be around them. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but as Jess will tell you, I have made up for it by making at least one, now two very silly assemblies. I don't know how you guys have been managing assemblies, but to me, the comp, you know, we are not assembling, are we? But we are doing something in common, and I think that's a lovely thing. So we haven't had assemblies, and then last week we had an inspirational maths week, so we did have theme assemblies, and mine involved uh, pineapples and juggling, and not me, somebody else. Um, but actually, the children at the gate were saying, "You were on our board. We saw you," and it was really nice. Reception children. I don't, I don't know them yet, but they could realise that that was us. So I do think that anything that can hold us together as an entity, anything that is about us being St Williams together as a group is still is really important at the minute. I, I've been doing I've been doing a weekly assembly on a Monday morning around our school values. So I've taken one of our school values each Monday and just done the most dull. They're awful. You know, there's me sitting in front of the camera, but the children seem to love the fact that I come up on the screen in their room and I ask them questions and their teachers type a few answers in the chat on Teams and, you know, I'll, they'll put their thumbs up or their thumbs down for questions and, and, you know, I can see all the classes so I can, you know, if somebody puts their hand up, I can ask them to answer a question. But it's awful, I find, listening to myself and watching myself presenting an assembly because you can stand up quite confidently in front of a hall of 100 or 200 children and you don't see yourself. You can act the fool, you can do whatever you like, but when you're in the corner of the screen watching yourself the whole time, it's completely different. And I get all sort of, I, I get sort of stage fright. And by the end of it, I think I've just waffled and waffled and waffled and said really nothing. Um, but for some reason, I think the children just like to see us, don't they? they Absolutely. We've got, yeah. that, we've got that status. I think sometimes we don't appreciate it perhaps as much as perhaps we ought to. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that's a common experience for most head teachers who've been recording their assemblies. It is a bit weird, though, when you walk around the school and you can hear yourself, isn't it? Echoing around the school or you walk into a school. I mean, I've been recording mine the day before and then the teachers can pick it up. So I've recorded mine on a Tuesday and then they're picking it up on a Wednesday because I'm wearing I'm wearing a different suit or a different shirt or something. And then I suddenly appear in the door frame of the school and the kids are like, hang on, he's up there on the screen and he's standing in the doorway. I think they find that a bit baffling. But not as you, I agree with you, I feel very self-conscious doing it, but the kids love it. The kids absolutely love it. But at the same time, presumably, I know you two have been on teams a huge amount, haven't you, with the local authority and with your Educate Norfolk work and all the rest of it. But teams generally, you know, we're doing it at the moment, aren't we? We've got three screens in front of us. We're communicating with each other down the line. You've been doing your governor's meetings like that, presumably? Yeah, we have. Staff meetings? Yeah, no, not our staff not meetings. I, no. OK, we'll just stick in with Teams for a minute, though. I'm, I think when, when, when Teams first came to everybody's attention, we all thought this is the way forward. Why haven't we been doing this all the time? I'm not thinking that anymore, are you? I'm certainly not thinking that with governor's meetings. I'm finding governor's meetings painful via Teams. Yeah, I, I think the glitches and the delays and things like that are not great for certain meetings. So for governor's meetings, I think it serves a purpose sometimes and maybe we can cut down on having face-to-face um, -face meetings every single time but I do think it's important to have a face-to-face -face meeting at least once a term with governors. I think that in terms of the work that Sarah and I are doing particularly 
in terms of um, working with the local authority, doing Educate Norfolk stuff, you know, it, Sarah, Jim and I can, can chat together on a regular basis and have a conversation with Kirsty quite frequently by being, you know, in different parts of the county. Um, and that's really, really helpful. But staff meetings, we decided very early on that we could actually have a staff meeting. We're small enough to be able to have all the teachers, there's only nine of us, in one classroom, socially distanced, and have a staff meeting um, in person. Because actually, it's painful doing that sort of thing when you want to have a conversation, when you want to talk about things. It just doesn't really work and it's not very efficient. But there are, you know, there are times when Teams is really helpful means that my petrol bill's not nearly as high as it was last year. I, I agree. I think, and particularly Jess, I think you all agree that the head teachers briefings, the leadership updates yeah. work better because as all three of us know, we've struggled for the last few years to find locations, to find times, to find places, to meet people from this enormous county of ours. And we had two meetings and the first meeting had about, I don't know, 75 people there. But some people, like I think Jonathan's case, he sent a different member of staff the next day. But some people sent staff because the first one was good. So I do think that there are advantages like that. There's a couple of things I would say, though, that I think if you don't know people already, they're a very tough way to build relationships. The ones with the local authority, Jess, we know everyone in that room really well, don't we? So we can have meetings with cameras off and have discussions because we've already got those relationships. Um, I think if you don't know the people, that's really tough. But the second one is just like now, we're talking over each other because this medium lends itself to somebody preaching and then someone else preaching and someone else preaching, but not exclusively. Exactly. And I, I worry that we'll be receivers of information bash out a great idea and come up with something even better at the end of it. Having said that, I've started up with, you know, I'm no, no I'm not the only one, but we've done peer support group meetings and I, there are a group of us, six or seven of us, who all have similar size schools. We didn't know each other from Adam before um, last term and we were put together in a group by Kirsty through Educate Norfolk and we've established a really great working relationship where we talk to each other every other week, bash out things that we haven't you know that we're struggling with share things we've got one or two people who are really skilled in certain areas chris hutchinson amazing man brilliant on the health and safety and has helped us brilliantly and we didn't know each other you know this time last year but because of the covid because of the fact that we can do teams meetings and be in various different parts of the county and still meet up it's worked really really well and we have established really good relationships but it, you have to be careful about it, don't you? You do have to make sure that it fits in with what you're doing and it and it makes sense. Interesting as well that it requires a different skill set, doesn't it? And in fact, the two things we've talked about there, being able to meet like this on Teams, being able to communicate on camera and being able, knowing how to handle this sort of conversation, particularly with more people involved on the call. And also the previous thing we were talking about, which was recording your assembly. Basically, being an amateur filmmaker, which is what I feel like doing that, that's a different skill set, isn't it, to the one that we'd normally employ in the way that we communicate with people. And if we were to do this permanently, it would mean different sorts of people getting these jobs because they demonstrated those skills or they showed some aptitude in this arena. 
But one of, one of the other worries for that for me, Jonathan, is we were talking about this with new heads and also looking at um, there was an Educate Norfolk survey around uh, head teachers' wellbeing and the aspects of the job at the moment that are really tricky for people. So the things that are getting us down and feeling exhausted, I worry about the next generation of leaders looking and going, why would I want to do that job? Why would I want to do what those people are having to do at the minute? And I think that's hugely concerning. I agree. I think there will be, there's that sense of... Um, performance and of charisma that does lessons well online as well as uh, leadership and those sort of things online but it does worry me that those people who maybe have got that set of skills are not going to want to do some of the the tedium that we are doing the minutiae that we are doing that's probably not all our skill sets you know we're all health and safety experts all of a sudden um, and and that's not what all of us went into this for so it's a it's a weird balance as to look into the future what sort of role there will be and how you know how that will manifest state itself as head teachers come forward i have been saying that for years we have a responsibility to the next generation not to look too knackered while we're doing it haven't we not to moan <laughs> about it and not to look too knackered so we've got to keep smiling and look young yeah okay so basically a series of things i've failed at go on just I think we have to be realistic and we we have to make sure that yes we you know we need we need the next generation to be enthusiastic about leadership but also we need to be responsible in ensuring that they're not going into a into a leadership role that is untenable and exhausting and knackers them and damages their well-being you know i think there are some brilliant aspects of this job but the idea of having a health and safety executive visit landed on me or ofsted coming and measuring me or you know the local authority asking me to do a work booklet and all of those things on top of just running the school on a daily basis making sure my staff are okay and not falling to pieces making sure the children are safe and know what they're supposed to be doing making sure the parents aren't anxious you know, at the moment, those things are what we need to be doing and making sure that um, are running smoothly. And actually, I enjoy all of those bits, working with people and being with people. It might be tiring. It might be different to the things that we do most of the time. Yeah. But, it, but actually, it's quite enjoyable. It's the, it's the bits on top that you just think, do we really need to be doing this? Could we not be looking at something different? So that people coming up behind us maybe have don't have to do all of it. Must be an alternative, I think. We did put this sort of um, build back better kind of idea to Chloe Smith uh, last week when we had her on the podcast. You know, we <clears throat> did talk about Ofsted particularly with her, and she gave the sort of standard line about parents need to know how good a school is so they can decide which one to send the kids into, and that sort of thing. But I, I particularly the Ofsted element. I, I mean, I suppose the health and safety thing, I can see why health and safety yeah. uh, executive might feel that now is a time when they need to be checking that schools are doing what they should be doing. I do get the sort of the, the public health element of that. Obviously, that's important. Ofsted, though, I mean, uh, I know this is my pet subject and I choose to moan about Ofsted more than everybody else. But why on earth? What on earth can they add at the moment? Why on, why on earth would we be? tolerating Ofsted coming into schools just to just to do what I don't even know what they're really doing well we um we've had some feedback from some schools um in Norfolk that had the pilot inspections um the other day and most of them were pretty it was okay it was fine but like you say Jonathan didn't actually move them forward as a school at all it helped them to rehearse what they were doing and to say it 
Um, Ofsted are quite clear, they literally write down what the head teacher says and that's it. So surely that could be a phone call or like you uh, mentioned once before, Jonathan, it could be a planned thing in a few weeks time so that there's none of the stress and that phone call ringing at 10 o'clock, we hear it is now that, you know, literally we used to dread that 12 o'clock, didn't we? We used to get to Thursday yeah. and think, yes, it's gone. I can't have them this week, you know, you're free. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's how they make you feel. And I think if schools are feeling that their Ofsted visits have been successful, that's probably just relief, isn't it? That's probably just that, you know, nothing awful happened. If they haven't been a disaster yeah. and they're not in special measures. If it's a supportive visit, why on, earth, why on earth are they insisting on ringing the day before? I just don't understand that. If they're coming to be helpful, tell me you're coming in the middle of November or, the, you know, tell me what day you're coming. Don't ring me the day before. That's threatening, isn't it? I think the thing is that we've all been, all three of us have been heads for long enough now to have gone through a fair few Austin inspections each. And each time I've done it, even, you know, even before I became a head teacher, each time I've done it, I have never, ever gone through the experience thinking, actually, this is delightful. I'm really enjoying this. And I've never, ever sat there with an Austin inspector thinking this isn't really that awful. By the end of it, I think, actually, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. But it's always anxiety-ridden. It's always that thought, what if they come across something that maybe they can hang me with? Um, you know, when I took on this school, it was RI. And then you go into double RI. And then you're under the cosh because you think, what if it happens again? And they're going to force me into academisation. It's always that something hanging over you. And for me, Ofsted is the one thing that, as a head teacher. I always dread. I don't mind anything else. I don't mind being tackled by governors. I don't mind a health and safety inspection. I don't mind somebody coming in and checking that I'm making sure that things are right. But for Ofsted, it's that level of accountability that effectively can end your career. Mm. And, and I find that that's the one thing that I find I, I find it really hard to deal with in terms of the job, really. Absolutely. So, big issue that's exercising a lot of head teachers at the moment is um, their Norse catering contract. I think there's been, as you like to say, yes, a bit of a kerfuffle about this too. So, uh, do you want to just explain what everybody's suddenly being charged an extra 15p a meal for and, and what the reaction has been? Yeah, I think to be fair to Norse, it's probably more than Norse. It's just that Norse is the biggest provider. Um, and also um, because during lockdown, the procurement rules meant that um, people that were had traditionally provided us with a service could continue to charge for that service. And most providers did a proportionate response to that. They said, oh, we're going to take 20% of the money or 25% and explain why. Some providers didn't take any money, but Norse took 100% of the money. So that had already got people's backs up a little bit. And also on the ground, some of the service um, for lots of providers wasn't what we were hoping for or expecting. Um, on our return to school, obviously, uh, we've got our risk assessments and a huge complication for that is around children being in shared spaces. And if they're going to go to the dining room, once they're in the dining room, it's got to be completely clean between bubbles. And you always have that one little child in year one who takes 45 minutes to eat their lunch. So there's no way the next year group can come till they've finished. Um, there's also um, lots of issues around, um, therefore, if we're eating in classrooms, how we do that. So most schools at the minute appear to be having um, disposable containers for their school dinners. Not everybody. It seems to be what we were encouraged towards. 
and um, they have a lot of knock-on effects environmentally and also I think setting a bad example for children if they're particularly if they're not recyclable um, but what they are doing is costing money on a daily basis so um, Norse have said that they want to charge an extra amount per dinner to make up for the waste unfortunately for them they really didn't help themselves by sending that letter out to everybody even the schools that have refused to use the disposable packaging who were still then going to be charged so they have gone back on that and said they'll only charge the schools that are using it well that's a good start um, but I don't think they really have any concept around the other complications for lunchtime so for example some schools have had to have extra bins um, you know external waste bins and more collections which we pay for as schools um, some people are taking a lot more admin time to sort things out uh, for some schools for example you could add on cleaning from Norse to your contract and they put the price of that up as well so there's just a lot of things going on that um, just feel like they're not an understanding on their part of the enormous pressures on schools um, they're a private company so some schools are saying how should we why should we be supporting them if they're not viable um, so yeah so it's, it's a real tricky one uh, we need them to be providers but we also need you know, the financial pressures on schools around cleaning and all that stuff is really complicated. So um, I think it's been a really good response in the sense that Jess and I took this information to quite senior people in the local authority and we've set up a meeting tomorrow between head teachers that are in that contract, members of the catering board and managers from North. So we're hoping to move that forward. As you two know, unless there's goodwill between us and our caterers, we don't we push our families to, to buy lunch and then their numbers are going to dwindle even further. If there's a negative atmosphere um, and no one is blaming the individual Norse workers on the ground at all for this. Most of them are fabulous and positive and happy to be back in school. Um, but another um, issue here, I suppose, in the bigger picture is that Marcus Rashford's campaign, which he's leading with lots of people around extending children that could have free school meals, not just into holidays, but also to everybody on universal credit. That would actually help in another way because that would provide more take uptake of our school meals and actually might sustain the providers as well as um, you know, helping more families because it's going to help none of our families if our caterers go bust and we can't provide them with meals for anyone. So it's a real conundrum. But I think people who are in the Norse contract just have seen some of their feedback. Well, they just feel as if they've take you know, there's been more take and not as much give from them as maybe with some of the other companies. Does that sound like a fair summary? I think that's spot on, Sarah. I think that the, the thing is that, you know, none of us are actually in um, a catering contract with Norse. And none of us have had, I mean, we've, we've all supported our caterers and our caterers have supported us. And it's been a sort of a, a relationship of give and take and of understanding both sides of the argument. And I think that tomorrow is going to be an opportunity for Norse to perhaps hear the head teacher's point of view um, quite clearly. Yeah, and, and we don't, you know, our school's doing OK for money at the minute for lots of reasons, but lots of schools aren't. And to just suddenly give them additional costs that they've got no way of predicting. But also more than that, if they encourage take up of free school meals or of paid dinners, they're going to cost the school even more money. So it's, it feels like a real um, not the best way forward, because ultimately, if, if the numbers taking up the meals goes down, North lose out. If it costs schools more, then other things will go from the school's budget. So. Yeah, we really need to find a way forward with a bit more understanding on their side, I would say. And hopefully by the time we meet again, we will have that. I'm staying very quiet through this part of the conversation, you'll notice, because we don't have a Norse contract here. We cater for ourselves. 
We have wow. our own kitchen in both our schools. So I'm just throwing that in there, dear listener, because there is another way. There is another way. And there way. are other caterers available. We've got a very good catering company, and I think, you know, it, it needs to be known that there are so, other options. Who is that, Jess? Because we, we've just name-checked Norse a hundred times. Who's that, Edwards and Blake? No, Sarah's got Edwards and Blake. We've got the lunchtime company, but we are one of the only schools in Norfolk using the lunchtime company. But mm -hmm. they've been, they have tried really hard to make it work for us. Okay, so there we go. Some other options for you, dear listener. Do it yourself. The lunchtime company, did you say? Is that your yours? Yep. Yeah. And Edwards and Blake, obviously, many of you will be familiar with. Company from Swarth. There we go. But um, interesting. So that meeting is tomorrow, which we're recording this on monday evening so that's uh that's on tuesday uh the last tuesday before half term so hopefully by the time you listen to this there will have been a bit of movement there and you'll have some new communication if you are a norse person and maybe we'll have some more pictures being shared on social media of slightly bigger lunches i think we might have also if you're on any sort of uh whatsapp group you might have seen some extremely small looking portions of lunch which i personally the 11 or 10 year old me would have been horrified to see, I can tell you. So around this time in the programme, I usually say, and we'll have Chris Snudden on next week. In fact, I think I've said that for about the last three weeks. And we did finally, Sarah, didn't we actually get Chris online and had a conversation with her, um, I think at the end of last week. and. I don't know what happened. The the, the, all the technicals failed, didn't they? We couldn't make it work. It we did. couldn't record it for some reason. She was definitely there and it was very nice to see her, but we will try again. But we couldn't, we didn't manage to record. Even Nigel came into my office and even, even Nigel, Nigel. even Nigel, our brilliant producer, could not make it work. So we don't quite know what happened there. So we're going to have another go at that immediately after half term. So I keep promising that and then it never happens. But there we are, um, hopefully after half term. But it's been great to talk with both of you um and reflect on the half term that was the half term like no other before apart from the one before that which i guess was a bit the same it was a kerfuffle um, it, it, <laughs> it certainly has been a kerfuffle hasn't it and i think uh, we're all i came back to um school this morning and i know jess you said the same thing i came back here this morning and on monday morning i didn't feel any less tired than i had done on friday afternoon so i think we could all do with a nice break and let's hope we all get that and uh we shall see you all next half term. I hope you all, uh, dear Norfolk head teachers, get uh, get a good break. Um, thank you very much again for listening today, and thank you, Jess, for joining us. Thank it's you, been Jess. A I hope you both have an opportunity and a week to recharge and uh, reset for what's uh, the build up to Christmas. Yay! Oh. Yay. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> <Jess>. <laughs> thank you, Jess, for chucking that in just before we. <laughs> And thank you, Sarah. Yeah, take care, Jonathan. Have a good break. You Thanks, too. guys. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And goodbye. Bye.